Come in God's word together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessings of this life, thanking you for the blessings of family, for the blessings that we have in our family relationships as we enjoy the the love of our children, as we enjoy the love of our spouses. And Lord, as we spend time today thinking on those things, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the ultimate joy that we have that is reflected in our family as we, uh, our family, the father relationship, the mother relationship, the husband and wife relationship, all of it is meant to be a picture of our relationship to you. And so, Father, I pray that we would be drawn near to you as we consider our relationships with one another. Pray that you would bless me and give me the words to say that would encourage and build up. Take away those words that would distract or lead astray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue to look at uh, the issue of family worship. I told you uh, last week that we were going to be spending the next couple of or a few Sundays looking at how we worship as a family or through our family. And really that's kind of the theme for today's message is how we, through the relationship of our marriage, worship God in that relationship. And that seems like a strange thing to say, but I hope that as we go through this text and as we uh, consider the points that I have for us today, that you'll see more clearly how we worship God through the institution of marriage. Now, you might be thinking, well, Brother Nathan, I'm not married. I'm either uh, I'm single too young to be married or or I'm uh, single and, and uh, just haven't ever gotten married or, or I'm divorced or widowed, whatever your situation might be. You might be thinking, well, I, I can sit this one out. I'm OK, but I'm sorry. I tend to step on all toes equally. So I, um, I do have something for every one of us as we consider marriage today. This applies to every one of us in one way or another. So if you would, just hold on to the end. If you're too young to be married or single or, or for whatever reason, hold on, because I believe that the subject of marriage applies to everyone in one way or another. But this morning, I want you to understand that godly Christian marriage brings glory to God as it honors the relationship of Christ and the church. Godly Christian marriage brings glory to God as it honors the relationship of Christ and the church. So to see that, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. Let me make sure my mic is right here. Um, we're going to go through uh, from verse 22 through verse 33 of Ephesians chapter 5. And so follow along with me as I read Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. God's word says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing 
that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there are three characteristics of the Christian marriage that I want you to see from our text today. These three characteristics are submission, sovereignty, and sanctification. Submission, sovereignty, and sanctification. So to start with, let's, li- let's deal with, right out of the gate, the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And that is this word, this bad word in our day, submission. Now, husbands, I know you've all been elbowing your wives as we started out that ta- that, uh, that, those verses today. But I want to deal with what Paul means when he says, submit, uh, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I say that it's a heavy subject, like an 800-pound gorilla in the room, for several reasons. First of all, we as Americans, we just don't like to submit to anyone. And so it's easy enough just to say any of us would have a problem with the idea of submitting to anyone. And, and, and that problem increases every year, whether it's people submitting to government or people submitting to police or people submitting to uh, their teachers or their parents or whatever. We just resist submission. And this word has become a bad word in our day. But secondly, the second reason that this this word is a heavy subject is because uh, husbands, some husbands over the years have used this as a reason or an excuse to subjugate and to abuse their wives. So I want us to better understand what Paul means by the word submission by considering what submission, first of all, what it is not, and second, what it is. So first, I want you to understand that submission is not a command just for wives. Submission is not a command just for wives. If you look back up to verse 21, you'll notice that Paul has just finished exhorting every believer to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then starting in verse 22 of chapter 5 and going all the way through verse 9 of chapter 6, Paul sets out to explain how all Christians submit to Christ by submitting to each other. And so he's working this out in the marriage relationship, in the master-slave relationship, in the child-parent relationship. He works it out in all these different relationships. But the, the theme of all of these verses is that we all are to submit, ultimately to Christ, but also to each other. And so the theme of this whole passage on marriage is one of submission for both husbands and wives. Husbands are to submit 
by loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And wives are to submit to their husbands as the head of the family. The second thing that I want you to understand that submission is not is submission is not subjugation. So you'll notice that Paul directs this command directly to wives. And and I can't explain to you, I don't have time to explain to you just how revolutionary it is that Paul would have directed a command directly to wives. Wives were considered nothing more than property in Paul's day. It was not, it, it doesn't make any sense that Paul would direct a command to wives. But here he tells wives to do something. Now, notice he doesn't say, husbands, make sure your wives toe the line. The command is not directed to husbands. The command is directed to the wives. And so submission is a voluntary act by the wife in obedience, first, not to her husband, but to Christ. She does it not first out of obedience to her husband, but out of obedience to Christ. Paul even sets it in those terms, and he says, he tells wives to submit just as the church submits to Christ. Now, church, do we submit to Christ because we are coerced to do it? No, we submit to Christ because we love Him and we want to worship Him. We want to bring glory to Him. And so in the same way that the church voluntarily and willfully gladly submits to Christ, so too wives are to submit to their husbands. Also, understand that submission to your husband, wives, does not supersede your obedience to God. In the same way that we ought to submit to government, but that does not mean that that supersedes our obedience to God. So that if the government commands that we do something that God commands us not to do, then we don't do it because of our obedience to God. In the same way, if your husband is, a, uh, is abusive or is trying to get you to carry out some sin or is making you complicit in his own sin... Your first obligation is to the Lord. And you have every right to resist Him and defend yourself or others. Women, do not hide behind this command as a reason to let your husband do whatever he wants. You have an obligation first to the Lord. And the only reason you're submissive to your husband is because you're submissive to the Lord to start with. So with that in mind, uh, there is a third thing that submission is not. And this is important to understand as well on the flip side of what I've just said. Submission is not an if-then requirement. Now, it's commonplace, especially in our day, because submission is such a difficult thing to talk about. It's commonplace for pastors to talk about these verses as kind of this if-then argument. Like, if your husband is a loving, Christ-like example and is good and loves you as Christ loves the church, then you're submissive. But I want you to notice the text has no if-then statement. There, um, it is, 
it's true that there are only three verses in this passage that refer to wives and the other nine verses are spent on husbands. But that doesn't mean that wives are only to submit to their husbands if their husbands meet every letter of the law. I say that because as many times as I have heard men use this passage to justify their, their subjugation of their wives, I have heard twice as many times where wives have used this passage to justify their selfishness and even their own adultery. It is commonplace in our day where wives say, well, because my husband doesn't love me like he should, I am excused from any requirement of Scripture. That is not what is in mind here. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may, be, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now you can see here that Peter uses the same exact language that Paul uses in talking about submission, but Peter says that wives should be subject to uh, even to unbelieving husbands. Both wife and husband are obligated to the Lord. And they each have that obligation separately. A wife is to be submissive because of her obedience to the Lord. And the husband is to love his wife, even if she's unbelieving, even if she's difficult, even if she uh, give, doesn't do anything that evidences this idea of biblical submission. Both are to be obedient to Christ by their obedience in their marriage. So to understand what we've, we've seen what submission isn't, to see what submission is, we need to move on to the second characteristic of Christian marriage, and that is sovereignty. So at the core of this whole passage is the concept that theologians call sphere sovereignty. That's S-P-H-E-R-E. -E. Sphere is in a realm or a, or, or a category. Sphere sovereignty. It's the idea that God has established a certain order to this world. And He has given authority to certain institutions or to certain groups of people, certain positions within that, authority, within that society. So to see this very plainly, thought, plainly taught, I'd encourage you to, uh, in your Lord's Day reading this afternoon, to read 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13, through 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And you can go read that on your own, but it gives you a good idea of this, how God has established positions and institutions uh, and given them certain authority. But in the Bible generally we find five positions of human authority. You have government, masters or employers, nowadays we would call those, uh, pastors, husbands, and parents. So you find those throughout Scripture, but for just a few examples, in, uh, Paul tells Christians in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, to be subject to the governing authorities for they have been established by God. In Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3 and 1 Timothy chapter 6 and 1 Peter chapter 2, servants are commanded to obey their masters 
as though they are obeying God. So here, wives are told to be subject to their husbands as though they are being obedient to Christ. So just to help you understand what we mean when we say wives being submissive or subject to their husbands, to be subject to your husband means that your husband has the final decision, especially when it comes to family issues, where you work, where you go to church, uh, how we raise our children, those sorts of things. The husband is to have the final decision in those issues. Um, I have seen a lot of people and, and just to give you some examples, I've seen a lot of people in our day where the husband goes to one church and the wife goes to another church. If we are to live in biblical submission, those things should not be. Because a wife should be submissive to her husband in all things. The husband should determine where the family goes to worship. Now, ladies, that does not mean the idea of silent obedience, that you don't get any say in the matter and you just have to shut up and listen. The idea is final obedience. And I have a feeling some women are going to use that this afternoon. He didn't say absolute obedience. He said final obedience. Um, And that, in all seriousness, is the idea. We are to live in Uh, love and respect for one another in the marriage relationship. And women should feel free, men, to say what they think and to communicate their concerns. But the ultimate and final decision does rest with the husband as the head of the family. But men, this idea of sphere sovereignty, it brings a dreadful task to the one who has the authority. So thus far, I'm sure you husbands have thought that you were kings of the world so far, according to Scripture. But before you get the idea to quote this Scripture as you grab your fishing pole and head out for the afternoon, let me give you a couple of things to consider or another principle of sphere sovereignty. The principle is this. The one with the greater authority is judged by a higher standard. For example, when James writes to those who would consider being a pastor or a teacher, he says in James chapter 3, verse 1, he warns that not many should become teachers because they are to be judged with greater strictness. In the same way, husbands, our standard is not whether we're better than other husbands. Our standard is not whether we're better than all the boyfriends that came before us. Our standard is not whether we're better better than our fathers-in-law. Our standard is Christ. So notice in verse 25, Paul says that husbands should love their wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. So husbands should love our wives in a self-sacrificing way. We should love our wives in such a way that we are willing to die for them. 
So then Paul goes on into the ways that husbands should exercise their authority in the relationship, which brings me to the third characteristic of, of Christian marriage, and that is sanctification. Now, men, you might have thought, ah, I got authority. I get to do what, you, what I want. But here is what Paul means when he says that we have authority. Here are our responsibilities as husbands in the marriage relationship. Paul parallels the, the ways in which Christ sanctifies the church as a model for the ways that a husband should sanctify his wife. So first, just as Christ cleansed the church through his gospel, so too husbands should cleanse their wives through the word of God. Now men, listen to me. Our calling as the head of the family, is to exemplify Christ. Our calling is to exemplify Christ in the way that we live within our marriage relationship. And the number one way that we do that is by ensuring that the Word of God permeates our family life. It permeates our marriage. That it governs how we interact with our wives and our children, and how we raise our families. Second, just as Christ presents the church to God as cleansed and holy, so too husbands are to lead their wives in purity. This means that above everything else, we value our wives, uh, everything else we value about our wives, we value their holiness more than anything else. We must want them to grow closer to Christ more than we want them to be infatuated with or dependent on us. And we can't do that if we ourselves aren't pursuing holiness in Christ. We can't do that if our minds are set on worldly expectations of beauty, and we value those things more than we value what is truly good. We can't do that if our heads are full of pornography and and instead of being full of our love for our wives and, and a right relationship with her. We can't do that if we pursue our work and the next dollar to the neglect of a meaningful relationship with the woman of our youth. And men, hear me on this. We can't do it if we're not the ones demanding that everyone get up and get ready for church on Sunday morning. If your wife or your children are the reason that you come to church, then you are failing to be the Christ-like example that Paul calls you to be here in this scripture. Outside of their own commitment to Christ, it should not be that, that your wife and your children have to beg you to come to church, but rather, instead, it should be you that is the reason that they go. You should demand that people get up on time, get ready, and get to church. You should demand that people read their scripture and 
walk with the Lord. You should demand that we have family devotions together and spend time in the Word. You should demand that your children go to Sunday school and to church. You should demand those things. It shouldn't be that you do it out of obligation because your wife nagged you about it all week and you finally gave in at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. It should be that rather you lead your wife and your family in purity because you first are obedient to Christ. So lastly, a sanctified marriage is one in which husband and wife both put Christ before each other. Now, this sounds strange because in our day and time, in our Disney World culture, we're taught that love is the idea of being head over heels for the person that you've fallen in love with and just being totally infatuated and incapable of living life without the person that you're married to. But notice that the motivation for the wife's submission and the husband's love is not anchored in the other spouse. Did you notice that? The reason that the wife should be submissive and the husband should love his wife is anchored in each person's commitment to Christ. Now, whether you're single or you're engaged or you're married, you need to understand this. Your marriage can only be joyful and fulfilling in the way that God intended it if you do not first put uh, if you do not focus first on your marriage or your spouse your marriage cannot be the marriage that God intended it to be if you put your marriage or your spouse first it is only when you submit first to Christ and serving him then uh, uh, that you can have the marriage that God intended you to have. Even putting your spouse first will not bring about the marriage that you think you should have. It is only when you put Christ above everything else, even your own spouse, that you will have the marriage that God intended you to have. So what about those of you who are single or divorced or, or widowed? What, what is it that you can gain from this discussion on marriage? Well, there's a verse that sums up every Christian's responsibility when it comes to marriage that I want us to end on. And that's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says this. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual, sexually immoral and adulterous. Now you'll notice that the writer to the Hebrews gives a command that marriage should be held in honor by all. Everyone, regardless of their marital status, is called to honor marriage. So you might be wondering, how do I do that if I'm not married? How do I honor marriage if I'm not married? Now, if you're young and you're potentially you have marriage in your future, or even if you're older and you're single for whatever reason, there are a number of things that you can do. For one, 
As the writer of Hebrews says, you can honor marriage by avoiding sexual immorality. You can remain abstinent until marriage, which abstinence is the idea that you avoid all sexual activity until you're married. If you're in a relationship, set boundaries that keep you from temptation. Don't be alone in your house together. Go on dates with couples. Set a self-imposed curfew if you don't already have one. Don't live together. Now, I know all of this sounds strange in our modern world because our world has made sex the end-all, be-all of human relationships. But if we are to worship God with our relationships, then we must honor the marriage relationship, even when we aren't in one. So that's as basic as not doing the things that married people do until you're married. Now, I know that it is a common place. In fact, the statistics have gone through the roof on this, that you that you live together until you get married nowadays. But I want to tell you that God's purpose for marriage is that marriage should be honored. And the way that we honor marriage is we don't live like we're married until we're married. And so we as Christians, we are ultimately in our marriages, whether it's when when we're submissive to our husbands or whether it's when we give self-sacrificing love to our wives or whether it's when we live in abstinence, when we're not married, we're going to be weird to the culture, especially this culture. And that's okay because we don't live for this culture. We live for Christ. And so we don't care ultimately what the world thinks because the world is passing away and the things that Christ has given us in a godly Christian marriage are better than what this world has to offer. And so we commit to these things not because it's popular and not because it's easy and not because it's what we would naturally want. We commit to these things because we want Christ more and because we love him and we want to serve him. Brothers and sisters, each one of us is called to honor Christ in our relationships with one another. Whether married or not, we are to live in submission to Christ and put him above everything else, including our spouses. It is only by putting Christ first that we can know the joy and fulfillment of marriage the way that he intended it to be. And in that kind of marriage, The presence of God is clearly seen as husband and wife pursue the holiness of God by sanctifying each other. It's this kind of marriage that takes real sacrifice from both husband and wife. It takes each partner setting aside his or her own desires and instead pursuing the good of the other. But it is only in this kind of self-sacrificing love that God is glorified. May we all honor marriage so that we might glorify God through our relationships with one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God that tells us how we are to live. We're thankful for the writings of Paul that tell us what godly Christian marriage looks like. And God, it is so strange, especially in our culture, 
to talk about submitting to someone else or to talk about loving someone to, for their own good, not for our, our own ends and not using someone for our own gratification, but rather loving them in a pure and self-sacrificial way where we honor them more than we honor ourselves. Father, I pray that we would see a, a renewal and a recommitment to godly Christian marriage, first in our church and more broadly in our community and in our world. But God, this can only start when we as Christians commit to the, the type of relationships that you call us to. It can only start when teenagers are committed more to Christ than they are their own sexual desires. It can only start when husbands and wives are fully committed to their love for you and as a result of that committed to one another, willing to forego the pleasures of this world and what this world says about earthly relationships and instead pursue a relationship first with you and then with each other. It can only start when husbands purify their wives through the word and, and act as priests of their families, seeking to raise their children and their wives in a godly Christian home. Father, I pray that we would pursue those things in our callings and in our lives. Lord, that whether we are married or divorced or widowed or whatever our status is, Lord, I pray that we would honor marriage because in honoring marriage, we honor you. Father, bless us as we continue to worship through this time of response. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Bill's going to come forward and lead us in our hymn of invitation. And